0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of TPA Talks. We're joined today by Sean Bailey, the London Assembly member and former candidate for Mayor of London. He's going to be talking to us about ULEZ, Sadiq Khan's legacy, and his own journey into politics. So stay tuned, and I hope you enjoy. Sean, thank you very much for, for joining us on TPA Talks today. Absolute pleasure. Uh, so, you know, we know you're a London Assembly member, we know you've run for London Mayor, you've run for Parliament a number of times, but what was it that got you into politics? I think there's three things that got me in politics. One was
1: a personal thing. I, I used to listen to a lot of hip hop music. One of the sort of big bands at the time was Public Enemy, and they were very political. And I just wanted to know what they were talking about Constantly going on And and that sort of drove me to pay attention to politics Later on in life, I became a youth worker And I used to do a lot of youth and community work in my area And I wanted people to have independent lives And I didn't realise that was a a small C In fact, a large C conservative view I didn't realise that at the time But it, it was really important to me So I ran my youth project And I constantly talked to people about You've got to get independent You've got to be able to make your own decisions Let's try to make that happen And I come from a very poor community, which um, to my mind had always been made to be dependent, always thought of itself as having no, always was talked about as having no agency. And I didn't believe that. I I grew up with a a mother who was big on on volunteering, who got out and helped the community. and It was just my way of repeating my mum's activities elsewhere. And also with that tinge of youth work, where I wanted to say to people, let's let's move forward i remember once um my uncle saying to me the happiest people
0: in the world are the people furthest away from the government and i was just trying to make people independent and be far away from the government so you've said before and i guess this sort of feeds into that 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 londoners are hustlers and they're sort of trying to constantly got a great big Mm -hmm. entrepreneurial spirit um how, how can that be enabled by, by government? You know, is it just by leaving them alone or are there things government can put in place to, to, to nurture that kind of instinct? Let, let me build on this theme. I say Londoner hustlers, Londoners are hustlers because there's
1: absolutely no way you build a world class capital like this by the auspice of government. They wouldn't know where to start, they wouldn't know what to do. London is great because of Londoners, and that extends to the whole country. What makes this country great? It's not its governments, it's never been its governments, it's been its civil activity, it's been the people of this country. And in order to keep that going, particularly London where, arguably, we are the engine room, the hub, you need to get out of people's way. And there's very distinct ways of getting out of people's way. Stop infantilizing the public, stop making more and more victims every day. People. Often tell me off for of saying left and right, but let's be clear. A real feature of the left is making everybody feel that they're a victim. Victims very rarely innovate. Got to make people feel like they they they, they have a place here, they're strong, they can move forward. The other piece as well is less tax. I, I I know right just now that might not be a popular view, but if if there's two ends of that argument. One is that incentive. If I spend all my time building a business that pays other people's mortgages besides my own, and then I'm taxed to pieces, why would I do that? I'm paying stamp duty, and if Labour have no I'll be paying death taxes. That kind of taxation stifles enterprise big time. And the other piece as well is always, always having a system that values companies that try to build things. Yes, London is very famous for finance, and long may that rain. But I do think now, as an economy, not just London but as an economy, we need to look at businesses that build, businesses that provide employment, businesses that are looking to stay around for 10, 15, 20 years time, not businesses that are looking to just cream to scrape the cream off the top and move on. We need real business that employs people.
0: Uh, so you know last week we, we, we had the, the budget from the Chancellor. Um, what, what did you make of it? I think there's two ways of looking at the budget. One, it was a political
1: budget. It was a safe budget. It was a budget that wasn't going to put the cat amongst the pigeons. Nobody panicked, which at this time you could argue is the right thing to do, not only from a party political point of view, but also from a, a public point of view. That's what you, you, you could say. But the other way of looking at it is, is where's my tax cut? And, and I say this for a very specific group of people. The squeezed middle, you know, we, we don't talk about them anymore. But they are the people whose tax is horrendous, but they're the people who have to work for a living. And what's important about that is if you're at the bottom of our system and you do the right thing, you work hard, you move up, the tax penalises you and you're effectively at the bottom again. And that stops people moving their families to financially safe places, et cetera, et cetera. So I think for me, I would always look for a budget, especially in these times now, we have the greatest tax burden we've had for 70 years. I would look for a budget that gave people Back more of their own money. I, I I just think that's the best way of getting up, getting the, getting that feeling that making people feel like they can deal with the cost of living, and also, you know, growing our economy into the future because it's important. If you keep giving government subsidies to deal with cost of living, I don't think you'll ever actually get past it.
0: Yeah, I mean, we, we've we've been quite vocal, you know, in our opposition to the kind of stealth taxes of the frozen thresholds. I mean, we we welcome the adjustments on on pension contributions. So that was a really good move. Um, but, but again, one of the things, you know, on, on more of a, on, on the corporate taxation side, we saw the, the increase in, in corporation tax, which was spoken out against by a number of former Chancellors. Um what what's your take on the corporation tax rise? And also perhaps if you could comment a bit on the other measures for businesses for so the full expensing and things like that, which the Chancellor brought in to supposedly offset the increase in, in corporation tax rise? I'll do one better than that i gonna talk about business rates. I have not met
1: a business, particularly medium to small business, which this economy is built on, that hasn't said, when are we gonna sort business rates out? And I think that's the one better that we could have done. And I say, it's not just a financial piece. If you sort out business rates, yes, there's the financial uplift; these companies working better, and that's the important bit, but it sends a message about the government's feelings around helping enterprise. And it doesn't matter where you sit in the political spectrum, right on the left, right on the right, you will understand that you need tax receipts to pay for all the things we like, NHS, school, whatever. But that comes from getting those small businesses to move, because remember, a big business used to be a small business, and the thing that's hobbled small businesses the most is business rates, that's what they all talk about. Corporation tax is, is of course, it's important because that talks about our, our attractiveness as a place to do business on the international ski, um, level. But of course, those big businesses have so much more flexibility about how they, they pay their tax, when they pay their tax, where they pay their tax. So when you talk about doing business rates, I think you do more for our economy in, in general. And there's something that the Chancellor didn't touch on at all that I would really do something about, and it's about payments. When do companies get paid? I spoke to so many small businesses when I was running for mayor who went under with people hiring them hundreds of thousands of pounds. Some of the largest businesses in this country don't pay um, their 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 invoices for ninety days, and if you're small business, a farm, a small retailer, that kills you. And it's the biggest businesses that that hold on to this practice. And I I I nearly said I as the mayor there. (laughs) If I was the chancellor, I'd have wiped that practice out because I think it sends a poor message about how we
0: all feel about enterprise. Um, You spoke a bit about your time running for for London mayor then. And and, one thing which Londoners have coming their way later this year is the expansion of the ultra low emission zone to cover all of the London boroughs. How do you think that's gonna impact Londoners, particularly in poorer households?
1: So there's two things I'd say. When I ran for mayor, I made a video about this coming in the cost of driving London, and I was roundly called a liar. Lots of different press outlets wrote stories about how I was a liar. Fast forward 18 months, look where we are. So clearly, I was telling the truth. The mayor was always going to have this coming. He he said as much. The second thing is, in the mayor's own study, it said that 20%. 20% of small businesses will just die because of the extension of the ULES. That alone is a reason not to extend the ULES because it's those small businesses that give the most disenfranchised young people and communities their first chance. So to wipe them out, to take away people's bread and butter, I think is immoral just for a, a crusade. The other thing to say as well, the mayor keeps talking about equality in London. Let's be very clear, his own study uses the word Negligible It will provide a negligible benefit to air quality in London It's an absolute lie when they say it's going to do something with air quality It isn't about that It's so that the mayor can gallivant around and say he pushed through hard environmental policies And the rest of us should follow him Well actually he should listen to the poorer people in London Who are about to have their employment taken away Who won't be able to attend hospital Who cannot afford to change their car And this all the poorest people inside London And also just outside London as well and if you happen to live in the centre of London and think this will have no effect on you, where does your plumber live? Where does your florist live? Who, 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 who cleans your streets? Who, who works in your schools? How do they get to work? Where do they come from? A huge amount of people in London live just outside of London and drive into work. And they're the very people who cannot afford the ULES and they're the very people that the mayor is going to penalise.
0: The mayor's sort of, you know, suggested that, you know, people who oppose EULES that they don't they don't care about premature deaths from from clean air or that people who oppose the expansion of EULES are some sort of, you know, ec- extremists. What 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 do you make of those sorts of accusations from Sadiq Khan? Listen, because your clientele are such high highly educated people, I'm gonna break this down so they can really look at
1: the arguments. So if the mayor says there's four thousand people who die from premature lung deaths um in, in in London, yes. But that means his own failure has been, a, a, uh, his own policy has been a failure. Because we've had the central London ULES and he was quoting the same figures then. So has that had an impact or not? Because if it's had no impact, then why would we extend it? That's the, the first piece. The second piece is, of course, it won't have that effect. His own study has said that. And there's so many alternatives to expanding ULES if you want to do um, air quality you know or he should tell us the truth this is about raising money this is about taxing Londoners off the streets if he wants to do that that's fine But he should tell people the truth because if he wanted to clean the environment he could give the money to local councils to do it we we could be planting hedges we could be making a bus fleet more green we could just do scrappage we could get all the oldest polluting cars off the roads of London just by doing a huge scrappage scheme and by not doing the U it'd give him what 50 60 70 million more to put towards that scrappage scheme. That's what we should be doing, not
0: penalising London's most vulnerable. So another sort of quite divisive um, clean air policy that, that, that that's been rolled out in London is uh, low traffic neighbourhoods. During your mayoral campaign, you said you'd like to have them scaled back to some degree or, or targeted to the areas Removed that- was the words yeah. I used <laughs> um, why, why are LTNs so divisive and what's the impact on not just London residents, but London businesses as well? So there's two reasons. One of the reasons they're divisive, because the mayor never took responsibility
1: for them. When he thought they were popular in the beginning, he said, it's it's, me, 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 me. When he thought they were unpopular, oh, the government had provided the money. And I think what Londoners wanted was someone to take responsibility for them so they could be put in in the right places and taken out in the wrong places. But where they got really divisive, because it often turned out two things. One. They were put in in certain places that meant all the nicer houses and nicer roads had a real reduction in traffic. But then all the traffic was going through the poor areas, snarling up the place and pumping lots of fumes into an environment that didn't have those fumes in the beginning. By its very nature, a a low traffic neighbourhood makes the main roads more clogged. And that's where many more of the sort of poorer working class people have to do their, their business. That's why they were divisive. Not to mention the fact that many of them stopped fire engines getting through and ambulances. And on top of that, they made certain roads very, very quiet at, late at night, which made them very, very scary, particularly for women. Lots of women said, well, this road used to be have people and cars on it. Now I don't feel like I can come out here late at night because it's very lonely and I, I, I feel unsafe on this road. And I think that's very divisive. And the last piece I'll say, which is the real crux of the matter, local people weren't informed. There is hundreds of of low-traffic neighbourhoods that were putting in in the wrong place at the wrong time. And local people would have said, we don't oppose them, we just oppose this one because it's wrong. There was examples of um, LTNs being put in just off the A12. Now, the A12 is a major road. It's a high-speed road. And as soon as you turn off, there's a big planter. It was physically dangerous. And the local people said that, nobody listened to them. That's why That was just another reason why they were very controversial.
0: And just like just like you Les, um, LTNs, they sort of the result of that is another result of that is is a big transfer of cash from motorists uh to to councils in, in this instance. You know, some of the research the TPA have, has done. Has shown around one hundred million pounds going to 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 councils in London. Um, so we you know, we we know why they're controversial, but you know, and you sort of touched on it there. You know, weren't they in in part made possible by the Conservative government that provided the funding for them? Yes, they were. They, they, there's no getting away from that. The,
1: the funding was provided by the government. One of the other reasons, sorry, I, I forgot to say, why they were co- um, controversial, because they killed many small shops. And those small shops are vital community hubs, not just from the sort of retail offer they have, you know, you know, that bottle of milk you need, the extra pack of sausages or whatever it is. But the employment they provided, the life they provide to a neighbourhood, many small shops, many small shopping areas are killed because of LTNs. I think that's worth saying. Yes, the government did provide the money, but it was up to the mayor and local councils to administer that money. Now, any money that the government's going to give to London, let's have some more absolutely that would be my stance but what you do with that money is important so i don't think it's fair to say the government did the wrong thing the government gave the money i mean for instance a council or the mayor could have just not taken the money could have just sat there and gone back to the treasury but no they decided to take it and try to sneak past developments that they couldn't order narrowly do that was the horrible
0: part of it and you know clean air is, is clearly kind of an issue uh, through which you know sadiq khan would like his legacy to be viewed um, what do you think Khan's legacy will look like as mayor? Not just on clean air, but on things like crime and other issues as well, like strikes and whatnot. Um, well, he's had a record level of strikes.
1: He's had the two highest years for homicide of of any mayor. I think history will judge him rather harshly. London now feels significantly different than it did when I and I was born and raised here. If this, I'd argue, this is the worst it's ever felt. You know, anything from White Lane's in the wrong place, to he's had a 57% rise in his portion of the council tax. All of these things, and many more things in between, have added up to a London that feels under more pressure than it need than it need be. And it's no doubt it's been because of decisions that, that Sadiq Khan has made. And the idea that his policies will, um, particularly um, his green policies, will be looked at as as a, as a good legacy is simply not true because he will never take responsibility so now that people are pushing back against the expansion of the ulets he's now started saying he nicked the idea from boris johnson i mean what a coward of a man if you believe in the policy go with the policy don't you know do a focus group decide it's a problem and try and, and try and give the problem to somebody else and i think what we'll see history will say that sadiq khan was a mayor who never really led london you could have loved ken you could have hated ken he led london the same can be said about boris sadiq khan basically responded to, to, to focus groups, and that's evident in the outcomes for London.
0: And you talk there about this kind of um, lack of sometimes taking responsibility and not leading. Um, and in terms of the kind of structure of London government, I think, you know, sometimes there's a tendency in devolved governments to kind of blame their own failures on central governments or or, or other governments, that sort of thing, whether it's claiming there's not enough funding coming through or whatever it is. Um, do you think devolution is, is working well for, for London?
1: So what you've just described is what's known in my head as the Nicholas Sturgeon effect. She had the perfect situation. Everything good was her. Everything bad was Westminster. Look, we are an advanced economy. And I think a, a, a economy such as ours needs devolution. You do need to give those regional mayors, whatever their political stripes, some level of autonomy to maximise the opportunities they get because it isn't one-size-fits-all anymore. Of a very centralised country. I'm one of the people who has less problem with that than most, but I also acknowledge that we do need regional control, housing, transport. I mean, a good example of that would be Crossrail. We've been speaking about Crossrail since the 60s, but we didn't achieve it until we had a mayor to push it through. You can't ask a local council to spend money in 32 other councils, it's not gonna happen, whereas a mayor can do something like that. I think the key with making devolution work is actually lies with ministers. Had I been a transport minister or, the f- or 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 the treasury treasury, you know, chancellor, I would have made it quite clear where my responsibility lies and where yours lies, and I would have done it to the public. Like, for instance, Sadiq Khan keeps talking about we need a scrappage scheme in London. So he wants to put in a policy and then ask the government to pay it. That's ridiculous. If you're mayor, you have to have policies that are are relevant to the size of budget you have. You know, same if you're a council leader, if, if if you lead Andy Burnham, you know, he, Sadiq Khan, all of them must make policies relevant to the money they have. They should always ask for more. They shouldn't use it as a crutch or to hide their own inequities and that's
0: certainly what Sadiq Khan has done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Jim, do you think you'd, you'd give it, give, 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 running London another crack? Look, I ran for London because I was desperate to
1: give London an alternative. I could see we had a mayor who was, if I'm generous, quite fond of fiction. He there was, and I just wanted to shine a light on Londoners who have, who, in my, in my parlance, have to work for a living. You know, people who can't afford Sadiq Khan. If I think that um that's relevant this time around yes of course I could of course I could do it again. I was gratified by the huge number of Londoners who came out and supported me. I won in places where conservatives have never ever existed and that showed me that actually I was able to bring a message beyond politics yes I'm a conservative small and big C but really what I'm about is Helping you have an independent life. I want you and your children and your grandchildren and your great 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 grandchildren to have a stake in their own future because it's my belief when you feel connected to Britain PLC, we all do better. And the way I connect you is by you having your own, owning your own home, having a job, not being dependent on the government. Whereas I saw Sadiq Khan as serving his own political needs. I wanted to serve the outcomes of Londoners. So if I feel like I can do that, Again, I will go again.
0: Let's say you know. Let's say you were successful, and if you had been successful last time, then today you'd be looking at the front pages and looking at Baroness Casey's report, um, you know, with some shocking revelations about the Met, uh, about the culture in the Met and the force's ability to sort of function properly. Some are even suggesting it should be broken up. Um, what do you think the response should be to to the findings we've seen today?
1: Let me take this back to the beginning. It won't be lost on your viewers that I'm a black person. <laughs> I think people in my community have been saying this for years. So somebody this morning said to me, oh, my gosh, have you read it? All the revelations. None of this is a revelation to me. What I'm surprised about is that it took nearly seven years. So Sleek so Khan's been mayor for seven years. It took him seven years to get to this conclusion. You ask anybody who'd spent 20 minutes with the police and they could tell you that most of the police service is absolutely stellar. But there's a significant part that needs addressing a la um, Baroness Casey's report. So that's the first thing. It's not a revelation to me. The second thing is the response should be for the mayor and the commissioner to roll their sleeves up and get involved. I think the the police has had a challenge with quite senior police officers defending um, the behaviour of, of Junior police officer, every police officer, very poor behaviour, being the the defensive of that. And that's how how it's built up when it's built up. So it needs to be all done in daylight. I think it will give the current um, commissioner the strength he needs if it's done publicly, because he'll need to go to his senior officers and say, look, this is bigger than all of us. We're going to have to change this or the force could go. What I would say about some of the more sort of practical elements, I wouldn't break the Met up. I would not do that. I think breaking up the Met would weaken it. One of the Met's strengths is it looks, it's cohesive over the whole of London, and I think it needs to remain remain that way. Could it work better with the services around it? Absolutely, absolutely it should. One of the sort of smaller things I think we could do is is we could do a bit more of our specials. Being a special in the Met isn't quite as interesting as being a special in Alpha Forces. Specials in Alpha Forces g- get more access to the sort of full gambit of what it is to be a police officer. I hope we're working on that here. But the main thing now is that people at the top have to do two important things. One, they have to lead from the front and they have to be prepared to take on the old guard and simply get rid of them if need be. But they also have to stand up for the police service. Because if we rob the police service of all of its authority then we're all at risk we it must maintain a level of authority so it can so it can deliver the law because a police service that has been emasculated
0: or we turn into an extended version of social services means we're all at risk so we still sort of talked a bit there about you know reforming the met or not reforming the met or breaking up or not breaking it up there's a lot of uh, councils in london um, in terms of the structure of london government do you think you know there's some room for reform there or or, or at City Hall level?
1: I, I don't know. It, it would be, it'd be easy to look at councils and say there's too many of them, let's split them up. But if you look at the ratio of councillors to Londoners, it's pretty huge. So I, I wouldn't be in a hurry to 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 um to to break up to 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 make there less councils. I might look at a little bit of reform. I certainly would try to get them to work quite closely with City Hall. In Sadiq Khan's um, defence, he is fairly close to London councils. He, he he doesn't see them as a as a threat. He does work with them, and, and long may made that happen. What I'm about to say might sound a little bit bizarre, but I would probably give councils countrywide a little bump in their in their income. I think they're asked to do an awful lot with 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 a little, and in the past that's correct because they were bloated. But right here, right now, I do think when you look at the huge sums of money. We borrow to do all kinds of, of stuff. I'm I'm a bit I don't know what, what's the word, I wouldn't say concerned, I'm a bit disappointed that councils maybe didn't get a little bit more. Mm. I mean if you gave if you if you gave councils countrywide one or two billion, I mean, between all of them with no strings attached, they could all set their their, their finances straight, and we could almost have a reset and start again because we continually ask them to do new things, and
0: I'm not sure we continually fund those things properly. You make an interesting point about uh, council funding, and um, you know one of the one of the reasons that we keep seeing council tax rises, uh, you know, city halls tend to defend that as saying, well, we're not getting a big enough settlement from the government. But, you know, we see some, you know, fat cats and local authorities on huge salaries, um, often, you know, sometimes on more than, than even the prime minister. So isn't it the case that local authorities should be looking to cut back on the big salaries and the waste before expecting more money from the public through the Treasury or from uh, raising council tax? It's, they're two separate issues, aren't they?
1: So that big salary, you know, that for me is a civil service issue. That, that's a pension reform issue. That's, that's a very separate issue. I'm talking about the function of a council. The council has to, you know, collect bins, provide nurseries, make the sidewalk work, all those kind of things. I just think in that light, they could do a little bit. I, I might even be talking about a windfall, a one-off payment to just settle up. Okay, when I talk about reform of councils, I would have a little look at what a council's responsible for. And I do it on a regional basis. So if you take London, for instance, many of our councils are, are legally liable for really expensive things such as Hammersmith Bridge. No, I would give Hammersmith Bridge to, to TfL and you know adjust the funding accordingly. And you could do that regionally. I'm sure if you went and spoke to Andy Burnham, he'd say there's certain things that I should probably be doing that the council shouldn't be doing and you could have a negotiation, you you can get it done. Because remember, look, not remember, but I see councils as how we administer the country. Most people's first and last contact with the government is through their council. So it, it, I think it's a mechanism that needs to be nurtured and done pro- properly. I do think it's correct that councils were taken to task many years ago and 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 really forced to look at their budgets. But you could argue now that that's been done. We've had a pandemic. We've had a crash. A, a, you know. 2008, all kinds of things that councils have had to survive, going into the future, we should look at the whole council thing again. And I'm imagining if we did that somewhere along the line, there'd be a little uplift in, in, in their income. And if I was the government, I would want to be known as the conservative government that helped councils, you know, square their books, because that's how most people actually feel government.
0: So finally, in sort of leading on from waste, um, a lot of the work we've done at the TPA is, um, you know, calling out woke spending in Whitehall, whether that's spending lots and lots of money on diversity training or things as innocuous as, you know, uh, spending a lot of money on, say, LGBT lanyards and things like that. What's your view on that sort of spending? You know, would you rather see it, you know, scaled back, or are you sort of broadly comfortable with that sort of thing? So that uplift I just talked about in, in council spending would be
1: only if they stopped doing that because the, the, the people at home who are struggling to make ends meet, people at home who, who people on the left care to c- c- claim to care about don't want to pay for that stuff. And why it's important, because it is their money paying for that stuff. It is not right. The NHS could have a real look at what they're spending people's, people's money on. Councils could, to any government body could, and that's before you start looking at quangos, which don't sort of come up in, in, in sort of government world, well, but absolutely take our tax dollars so it should be should be looked at I think of all of that spending needs to have a look at because what we're doing in this country is using our collective tax money to forward certain people's political agenda and I don't think that's correct because who gets to choose whose agenda do you forward you know if if you if we're going to pay for people's agenda why don't you forward mine you know that's that's the conversation there so I would cut all that spending and I would ask organizations to justify um, what they spend, it, it, it would be part of my process. There's three things I would do. Firstly, I would send everybody a tax bill at the end of the year and it would show what the country has been spending its money on. So you'd have a total on it. So, you know, 800 billion pounds, you know, 20% NHS, blah. I would show people where their money's going because unless you do that, you're being deceitful. Yeah, your average person is desperately trying to raise their children and pay the bills. They haven't got time to figure out where their tax money's going. They should be told in no uncertain terms. And secondly, all organisations that receive any funding, so anything from the Arts Council to um, unions, for instance, because they get lots of money around um, facility time, should have to say what they're doing with that money. And if they can't answer the question in a satisfactory fashion, we'll just have the money back. It's as simple as that. And the last thing I do is I'd say to the civil service, 10%, maybe 5% of your budget has to be on innovation. You have to take a risk. And let's be clear, if you take a risk and that money, you know, doesn't come back as sort of best value, it doesn't matter. Right? It's a 5% risk because it's in that space of innovation where the real wins are. And I'd say to a department, imagine you spend two and a half percent of your budget on an innovation to save money in most departments' cases and in some department cases make more money. You would get some of that uplift. I want to incentivize that ministry to, to, to do that work. You'd get that uplifted and spend on the projects that your minister thinks they want to do going forward. Because where it is now, our civil service has no commercial imperative and it knows it can be slow, it knows it cannot innovate. It can be wasteful because there's absolutely no chance it will not, poor poor phraseology there, (laughs) there's no chance it will not get its budget next year. And that means that we, we have a tardiness in the system.
0: And I'd want to find ways to remove that. Sean, thank you very much for joining us. Absolute pleasure. Well, thank you to our guest, Sean Bailey, for talking to us today. If you enjoyed that episode of TPA Talks, be sure to like, comment and subscribe. And stay tuned for future episodes.